Of course, bees matter. For critical ecological and survival reasons, one mouthful in three of our diet benefits from honeybee pollination. Without bees traveling from crop to crop and flower to flower, our food system collapses. Of course, bees matter. In California, the almond industry requires 1.4 million colonies of honeybees. That's 60% of all the managed honeybee colonies in the United States. Of course, bees matter. Not just honeybees, but solitary bees. Yes, there are species not living in hives. Bumblebees and wild bees need our attention and protection. We can take action to create flower-rich habitats. We can avoid toxic pesticides to protect these pollinators. And we can assist biodiversity as a whole. I'm sure you've heard the news that honeybees have been in serious decline for decades. Colony collapse disorder isn't caused by a single reason. Scientists believe the problem is a result of multiple interacting factors. And this century isn't the first time beekeepers have been faced with unexplained losses. Scientific literature mentioned several honeybee disappearances in the 1880s, 1920s, even the 1960s. But I'm not going to give you just a talk about bees. Although I confess, I've had a wonderful time reading everything from scientific articles to histories, biographies, literature. What this question, do bees matter, asks of us at Pope is, why would bees or any single species be of concern to a religious community? We did host a beehive this past year because our church grounds are pesticide-free and flower-filled. Beyond this local fact, what matters is cultivating a deep appreciation of the interdependence evident in our world. John Muir, naturalist and founder of the Sierra Club, states perfectly why bees matter. When we try to pick out anything by itself, we find it hitched to everything else in the universe. Bees and everything else on our hill, including us, are hitched to everything else. Pick any single species, and we end up talking about the whole of creation. In the specific lies the universe. This expansive idea is at the heart of our Unitarian Universalist seventh principle. Respect. Who got this in jeopardy? Respect for the interdependent web 
of all existence, of which we are a part. Our seventh principle is our guide to embrace something greater than ourselves. Some call this interdependent web spirit of life, the ground of all being, the oneness of all existence, the community forming power, the process of life, the creative force, even God. Keeping our interwoven cosmological tapestry at the forefront of our minds develops within us a profound understanding of ourselves and place in the world. We continuously need to be reminded we are not alone. This infinite web is a source of meaning. We must dedicate our lives to it. A beloved Zen story comes to mind. In a long time past, there was an old monk who through diligent practice had attained a certain amount of spiritual wisdom. He had a young novice who was eight years old. One day, the monk looked in the boy's face and saw that he would die within a few months. Saddened by this, he told the boy to take a long holiday and go and visit his parents. Take your time, said the monk. Don't hurry back. For he felt the boy should be with his family when he died. Three months later, to his astonishment, the monk saw the boy walking back up the mountain. When he arrived, he looked intently at his face and saw that the boy would now live to a ripe old age. Tell me everything that happened while you were away, said the monk. So the boy started to tell of his journey down the mountain. He told of villages and towns he passed through, of rivers forded, mountains climbed. Then he told how one day he came to a flooded stream. He noticed, as he tried to pick his way across the stream, that a colony of ants had become trapped on a small island formed by the flooding stream. Moved by compassion for these poor creatures, he took a branch and laid it across one flow of the stream until it touched the little island. As the ants made their way across, the boy held the branch steady until he was sure all the ants had escaped to dry land. Then he went on his way. So thought the old monk. That is why the gods have lengthened his days. In the Zen tradition, the story comes with this moral. Compassionate acts can alter your fate. Conversely, acts of viciousness can adversely affect your fate. Do we care what happens to ants or bees? If we turned 
to look at each other or looked in the mirror, what would the old monk see in our face? Would he see how some of us, no matter our age or current health, are going to die soon because we've lost sight of the importance of these connections, the importance of our actions? Have we lost sight of how our very lives depend on the fate of an insect? You know, many who work with bees develop a wisdom of seeing the whole, finding the bigger picture in the individual bee. The hive becomes a single entity mirroring the single bee. California beekeeper Michael Thiel turns to an early high German word, bayen, to describe the collective life of bees. He writes, the colony becomes one entity, one body or creature composed of 50,000 individual bees, which are like the somatic cells of multicellular creatures. The biological term for this is superorganism. The superorganism overarches the individual parts and is more than their sum. This is evident in that a single honeybee is not able to survive by herself. And that old German word bayen is an attempt to describe this oneness and define it as one being. The multitude of all single bees creates one being with capacities far beyond those of each individual bee. And this beautiful buy-in, the beehive, is only one half of an even larger being, the flowering world. And the flowering world is only part of the whole ecosystem of plants and soil and weather and animal activity. And in turn, these systems are all parts of a galaxy, and so it goes. Whatever is done to one can be seen in the other. Like the Buddhist monk, the beekeeper can see the countenance of life and health or of withering and death in a single bee. So consider all the buy-ins, all the hive-like groups in your life, your family, a club, a community, our church. Loving attention to a single member affects the whole In the string of teaching parables reported in the book of Matthew, Jesus paints an image of Bayan. He describes a devoted, righteous community using the shepherd's metaphor of separating sheep from goats. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty. And you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick, 
and you took care of me. I was in prison. You visited me. Then the righteous will ask him, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry and gave you food or thirsty and gave you something to drink? And when was it that we saw you a stranger and welcomed you or naked and gave you clothing? And when was it that we saw you sick in prison and visited you? And the king will answer them, Truly I tell you, just as you did it to one, one of the least of these who are members of my family, you did it to me. Attending to the least of these transforms spiritual death to a healthy, long-lived one. And Jesus later points out in that parable that the opposite is true. When we act as if a bee or an individual doesn't matter, buy-in, righteousness, unity is lost. Whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Separateness is an illusion. We cannot disconnect our interwoven existence. Our seventh tradition interrupts this common cultural mistake of pretending everything is apart or disconnected. Everything is interrelated. Everything is interrelated in time and space, in our very being. And these lessons aren't just religious teachings. But we keep finding it over and over again in ecology, biology, physics, our cell phones and the internet. It's the old game of six degrees of separation. Yes, we're six steps away from Kevin Bacon and we're also six steps away from bees. We cut through our existential lie the lie of separation. When we can see that bees matter, we must constantly engage in the practice of noticing and recounting our connections to the smallest creature, smallest organism, on a cellular level even. We must avoid our tendencies to compartmentalize our experiences, to put them in neat little boxes instead of seeing them as part of a whole. The habits, if we develop habits of looking for links, it reinforces holistic thinking. We must increase our awareness of how all aspects of ourselves, spiritual, emotional, mental, entwine and nourish each other. We must seek out the big picture, the buy-in, the hive, in the smallest and a solid spiritual commitment to finding connections will erase arbitrary and unnecessary distinctions. We practice our seventh principle then 
by consciously tracing the links from ourselves to other beings. And any point is a good starting place. Your family, your work, your backyard, a bee on a flower. See the buy-in in the individual parts. Notice the moments when the imagined separations disappear. The handful of almonds you're eating, sitting on your patio, are intimately linked to the female pollinator flying from the dandelion to the honeysuckle. For this week, I propose we use every insect we see, a bee, a fly, a spider. It can be real. It can be a creepy story on NPR this morning. A picture from a book. When you're aware of an insect, use that split second as a cue or a vow to bring to mind the web of life that connects with everything. This heightened awareness can change how we respond to the world around us and to each other. Bees do matter. And please forgive me for this, but may it be so. We give away our plate.